welcome to CBA Grain Exchange. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome, everybody. We are excited to kick off CBA's Grain Exchange podcast. We're here, episode number one. Got a lot to talk about today. May USDA numbers out from the USDA today. Uh, this is the first time we get a look at the new crop balance sheet. So it kind of sets the tone as we think about uh, what's possible for really the corn and bean market here, maybe the next 30, 40 days pre-4th of July. So excited to talk about that today. I want to introduce uh, our guest today and kind of the uh, the way this is going to work as we do these monthly is uh, bring in a different featured guest uh, from the CVA team to really hit on some different topics and uh, areas of their individual expertise. So with that, I want to introduce Jason Meyer. Jason is out of our Hinton, Iowa office. Jason, welcome to the CVA Grain Exchange. Thank you, Luke. How's it going today? Oh, just awesome. I uh, had uh, green on the screen to finish. We got to love that, don't we? It's something we have not been able to see enough of lately. So definitely uh, a nice change of pace here. That's right. Well, Jason, hey, thanks for coming on today. You know, you're a key piece of a CVA successful team. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got here? Well, Luke, I grew up on a small family farm in eastern Iowa. I always wanted to be a farmer, but uh, the old man's like, son, uh, there's just not enough ground uh, to go go around. Uh, but we are corn, beans, a little bit of alfalfa, oats, uh, farrow to finish hogs, and a little bit of cattle. Uh, so I went to college in Northwestern where I studied uh, egg business. Uh, that led to an internship in Chicago at the Board of Trade. I started my career in the Board of Trade. Uh, a long time ago, let's, let's put it that way. Long ago that they actually had traders working on the floor. So that kind of dates me a little bit. Uh, so I was in Chicago about three years, learned a lot about the technical analysis, uh, the ins and outs of the marketplace. Uh, kind of living in Chicago for a small town farm boys, a little bit, a little bit rough, too, too many people, uh, too much noise. I had an opportunity to learn about the cash side of the business. So I actually moved to central Illinois and worked for advanced trading for about a year and a half in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, taught me a lot on how the, the cash side of the grain business worked. Um, about a year and a half being there, they, they sent me out to Dodge City, Kansas of all places. I was a grain originator there for about three years. Uh, they, they told me, hey, when you go out there, Jason, you're going to find a pretty girl behind every tree. Uh, little did I know there's only uh, like one tree for every square mile. So, And they all, they're all they all leaning to the north. But uh, great people in Dodge City. Yeah, I learned a little bit about wheat and milo and obviously a lot of cattle in that area. Uh, the pull of the Midwest, I wanted to get back to my family, a little close to my family. Uh, so ended up uh, moving to Beersford, South Dakota. Uh, where I was a grain merchandiser for five years. 
fantastic time. It really enjoyed uh, that time in my life. Uh, then I had a great opportunity to get back into the great state of Iowa uh, and work at Western Iowa Co-op as a grain division manager uh, for about three years. Uh, we had a merger come up and my wife's like, hey, I'm tired of moving all the time. Uh, let's let's stay put and see if you can find something uh, something local. And I'm a big believer in the cooperative system. And CVA came uh, knocking down my door, as I like to say. And I've been with CVA for the last four years, kind of in a grain originator uh, type role. Yeah, so I mean, really in that capacity, Jason, you're working with farmers every day to really help them make better grain marketing decisions. But uh, talk a little bit about why CVA and, you know, what makes the cooperative system so special? Uh, really, CVA's mission statement and vision statement aligns with my ethos and, and morals pretty well. And also, CVA has five uh, core values, I think, that are very important. Uh, one of them is lifelong learning um, and just the, the, the chance to be part of a winning team now, today, and in the future. And kind of what makes the co-op great, at the end of the day, the people that are doing business with us, they're the owners. And the co-op system is the only business system in the world. If you do business with us, what will pay you back for the amount of business that you do if we're actually profitable? And you think about CVA, all the locations we're at, we're in a lot of small towns. Uh, so we give a lot back to our communities, uh, help FFA, 4-H, uh, fire departments. I, I just think that's cool to be able to give back on the local level. Yeah, really invested locally uh, as part of that cooperative system and the economic impact of really keeping those dollars local, keeping those dollars here at home. So uh, excited to be part of something special like the cooperative system. Uh, so, Jason, you have a lot of really diverse experiences in your background. I imagine you down in the pit there. It's, is it like Trading Places, the movie? I mean, that's just what I envision down there in the pit. So, uh, Luke, Luke, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's pretty darn accurate. I, I must say, being in the pit, at first it's like, what in the world is going on? Once you kind of figure figure it out, it's the most well-oiled machine I've ever been part of. I wish everybody could go to Chicago and see what goes through uh, th those traders on a daily basis. I remember getting there thinking, "Hey, these guys only work from 9:30 to 1:15," but it's it's really war in these pits. And if you got a competitive spirit, that's an awesome, awesome place to be. Certainly a fun experience for you, Jason. And let's, let's put some of that experience to use here and dive into the markets. Uh, I want to talk about the May S&D report here today. So uh, for our listeners, the May supply and demand report that the USDA puts out every year is the first time that we get a look at their new crop estimates uh, for both supply and demand. Now, supply is a very simple calculation. We're taking uh, the March planting intentions acreage number. We're using a uh, trend line yield and they're extrapolating production. It's pretty simple. Uh, the big question mark that nobody really knows about when we come into this day is how are they gonna peg new crop demand? So today the numbers, uh, just to share a little bit with you, you know, old crop, we saw 
Uh, feed and residual usage bumped 25 million bushels. Exports actually went up 50. Uh, and then we did shave another 100 million off of uh, corn for ethanol usage. So corn carryout for old crop, that's the 1920, only went up 6 million bushels, which was uh, maybe a tad surprising on the friendly side. New crop wise, you know, we did have those 97 million planted acres, a trend yield of 178.5. Uh, kind of the big surprise here was 14.8 billion bushels worth of new crop demand. So a really large number by the USDA uh, washed it all through and we had a carryout of 3.318 billion uh, and a stocks to use ratio of 22%. So Jason, uh, what were your takeaways from this report on corn? Man, that's a lot of corn bushels. Uh, we're going to find a place uh, for all that to go. So you kind of look at the, the, the year-on-year uh, ending stocks number, and that's 1.22 billion bushels more. Uh, logistically speaking, where, where are all those bushels going to be held? And at the same time, it's only 1.22 billion more because, like you alluded to, uh, the government's got some pretty good exports uh, pegged uh, for the U.S., so that'll be really interesting to see as we, we go forward. But if we see the 3.3 billion bushels of stocks, that's going to be the largest stocks on hand since 1987-88. That, that, that's just crazy to me. Yeah, so I mean, big, big numbers, um, you know, but at the same token, you know, that number wasn't a surprise today, was it, Jason? Not, not a big surprise. I think the market's been, hey, we're, we're going to plant 97 million acres in, in, in March. Everybody's like, wow, that's, that's not going to be possible. And then you look at the, the pace of planting this, this spring, a way different story than last year. Uh, and 97 million acres might be really attainable here. I, I can't believe I'm about ready to, I, I'm actually saying that, but uh, it could be here. It does not take farmers very long to plant a whole bunch of acres anymore. Yeah, I mean, they're efficient at what they do, and it seems like all of that technology and the size of the equipment has totally de-risked the springtime planting window. Just look at a year ago and what it took to get the corn market to rally. You know, so Jason, 3.3 billion bushels, and July corn finishes uh, almost a nickel higher today. What gives? I mean, what, what does this mean for price direction in the next 30 days? Can I say there's more buyers and sellers? Is that allowed? Is that the easy answer? Well, I think that'd be incredibly logical, but uh, why is that? Uh, I think the market has been anticipating such a bearish number for so long. Once we finally saw the number, it's like sell the rumor, buy the facts. And you look at the government yield uh, that's kind of anticipating everything is going to go perfect from now to harvest. The way 2020 is going, we could see a lot more coming at this marketplace. So I, I'm almost comfortable in saying this is going to be the biggest ending stocks number. Uh, we're going to see your production number. Granted, we've got a lot of variances with the export and the ethanol demand. But you could look at it, hey, this is worse it's going to get, and we can only go up from, from here. Well, we're going to hold you to it, Jason, and we'll be sure to give uh, all the listeners of this podcast your phone number so they can talk to you about that. But uh, where 
should producers be making sales? I mean, all things considered, if you're feeling maybe a skosh friendly, if I could infer that from your reaction here, uh, where do you want to be a seller on corn? Yeah, a little, little, little friendly here, Luke. And I, I, let me step back a little bit. The analogy I kind of like to use is, is the Bears have had the ball uh, for quite some time. They've been driving down the field, but they just, they're on the one yard line. and just can't quite seem to punch it in. They can run a QB sneak and they just fumble the ball. Now the Bulls see the ball, they can get it, but do they want to engage quite yet? Uh, I don't know if the Bulls want to play, but if we ever play, I think uh, we're going to take the ball the other way. Uh, but getting kind of back to some target levels on corn here, uh, we could see July corn getting that 345 area. I think that's a, a strong uh, potential. We got we got a little work to, to get there, and how do we engage those bulls again? But just just give the bulls one story and, and see how far they can run it. But 345 July futures, uh, maybe with some of our basis levels where it's at. Uh, that, that's going to put us a little bit north of $3 corn. And who thought six months ago $3 corn would be a good sale? But that's the reality that we're in, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, the thing we've been talking about and, and uh, something for farmers to consider is, you know, we, we really have to consider the farm average at this point in the season. You know, if, if we did a good job of maybe letting half the crop go at better prices earlier this year, you know, how does that average into the sales that we're going to make on the rest of this old crop? And, you know, and don't forget about uh, some of the, the farm aid that's been paid out here in the last 12 months between the MFP program, um, uh, some coronavirus aid that's probably coming out soon. And, uh, you know, you've also got the 2018 farm bill, uh, PLC ARC, uh, that at these price levels is probably going to kick in. So um, kind of throw that all into a, a ball of wax and, you know, figure out where we're sitting, $3 corn sales may not be, you know, as bad as we think. So Jason, uh, we've got 345 July. Uh, what about new crop corn? Where's your sales target? New crop corn, I'm kind of hoping futures wise, we can get to that 355, 365 area. Um, we, got, we got a lot of technical resistance to get there, but if we could just, uh, find that little little short term positive. I think we could have a quick quick run up there, but I might not wait to 365 futures. I might start trying to pull the the trigger a little earlier. Uh, kind of you alluded to, we could potentially see uh, more government payments, and with the the, the 2018 farm bill, uh, how the ARC and PLC payments. Uh, are, are, are looking right now. I think there's going to be plenty of corn to go around. and uh, Yeah, it's, it's just going to be tough for the corn market to rally yep. long term. For sure. Okay, so 345 old corn, 365 new corn. All right, well, we've got some direction there, Jason. Uh, let's transition over to soybeans. Uh, don't want to forget about those here today. Uh, so just a quick rundown of the numbers by the USDA. Uh, not as many uh, changes in the beans. And, I, you know, I did forget to mention in the corn, there were some slight revisions on 1920 production, you know, as we accounted for uh, some of the issues up in the Dakotas um, and the Northern Belt over this last year. But, 
that filtered through and was not a big, big conversation. Soybean side, um, really tiny revision on production for the same reason. The big story was cutting 100 million bushels off of soybean export demand, old crop demand. Can't say that was a large surprise. Uh, did bump the old crop carryout up to 580 million bushels. So new crop side, you know, 83.5 million planted acres, 49.8 trend line yield. Um, you know, so they revealed crush and export demand, crush at 2.13 billion, exports at 2.05 billion. Can't say those were big surprises. It gives us a carryout at 405 million bushels for the 2021 crop. So Jason, what were your thoughts on beans? Yeah, kind of the report kind of gave both the bulls and the bears uh, some fodder uh, to throw in, into the picture here. Kind of surprised that the old crop ending stocks on beans were significantly higher. Uh, it feels like as of late, we're actually starting to see some export business uh, ongoing. And I think locally, local demand stemming from the crush has been pretty strong. So I was very, very, very surprised with that number. That's kind of the, the, the big outlier. But at the end of the day, we're going to plant more beans than last year. And just assuming a normal yield, the ending stocks for next year are actually lower than where we are right now. You kind of look back in history, we got what's called November futures, approximately 857, 860. This is the tightest stocks to use ratio we've had since this 2016 and 17 crop year. So when you look at the big picture, well, there's, there might be some nice undertones to support this bean market as we go forward. Yeah, and, you know, I think a, a question that we're all curious about, and none of us are going to know the answer to this right now, but how are acres really going to shake out? You know, I think tail end of March, we at least had some internal conversations that there is no way we plant 97 million acres of corn this year. And then you alluded to it in the corn comments that, boy, we had great weather, at least in the Western Corn Belt. Uh, it's possible that we did seed that with an open window. So really going to be an interesting day. It always is at the end of June as we get a look at planted acreage uh, and stocks reports for that day. So, um, Jason, if you had a hunch versus the 83.5 uh, that we had at the end of March, where do bean acres go between then and the end of June? I think this is my personal thoughts only. I think bean acres actually increase a little bit here. So, I, I would say we're going to be in that 84.2 to 84.5. I'm um, a little bit concerned about some of this hard red winter wheat uh, with some of these cold weathers that cold weather that we had. Uh, maybe we're going to be switching uh, some acres to, to beans there. Sure. Well, so if we pick up a few uh, million acres or so, keep that in mind on the carryout. That number grows uh, at least until we start impacting yield, uh, which could go both ways, of course. So, Jason, based on what you've analyzed for us there. What does that mean for price direction here the next 30 days? I am very friendly beans here. Uh, short term here. Technically speaking, I always go back to my technicals. Uh, we're starting to get above some important areas of resistance. Uh, that will now become support. When, when you look at the charts, it see, seems like the market tries to kill the beans every day. Uh, but then we come back and close near near the tops of the day. So as I as I look 
for bean prices going forward. I think the old crop beans versus the July, maybe we can get to that 870 uh, futures level. And that should be able to give us an 820 to 825 cash price. Uh, not super great historically speaking but a little better than where we are are right now what about on the new crop soybeans jason new crop soybeans i'd love to see nine dollar uh novi uh, futures hit i think there's a, a strong potential for that i'm kind of looking uh, when i look at my charts now i'm looking between like a 905 922 uh futures level Obviously, I'm not going to wait till 905 and start making some sales ahead of that. But it's just kind of a good place to, to draw a line in the sand. Okay. So, you know, really, $9 futures, you know, we should be above $8 cash for harvest beans at that point. You know, and on that note, Jason, just touch briefly, if you would, on, on harvest basis. It feels like a different setup this year. Maybe just your thoughts on that. I think kind of a mixed bag here. Uh, I do like that we're starting to see some Chinese demand and Mexican demand. I think that's going to help support uh, the, the new crop basis. But at the same time, we've got a huge carryout uh, stemming from lack of exports uh, in the current environment. So new crop basis, I can't really see it getting worse, but I also can't see it getting significantly better uh, in this time frame. I mean, we're going to have China in here, you know, they've been booking quite a bit of, you know, setback business forward, you know, for that harvest window and, and really the U S will be in the, you know, the driver's seat September through January. So uh, you can even see that reflected in, you know, the futures, uh, the way the board is structured. We don't have a lot of carry in the new crop spreads. And so uh, probably tells you that that China is going to be in tugging on beans uh, right out of the field. So uh, maybe more of a uh, historical basis environment after a couple of years of, of uh, you know, a softer feel to it. So uh, we'll keep tabs on that as we go forward. Um, Jason, kind of a good rundown there of the May WASD report on corn and beans. Uh, I want to touch briefly on, you're a big technical guy. You spent some time in Chicago. Uh, a lot of people invested some time in you. Uh, to really teach you about technical analysis. And I just, while we've got you here on episode number one, I want you to touch a little bit on technical analysis versus fundamental. What is technical analysis? What does that mean? Okay, basically technical analysis is reading charts. Uh, so I, I like to classify it in two different uh, aspects. Uh, the forecasting of future price movements uh, based on examination of past price movements. So What's happened in the past is probably going to happen in the future. Then you're trying to anticipate market movement by studying different price patterns uh, of the past using historical prices, trending volume, a little open interest, and uh, other other trading data out there. Okay, so you know a lot of folks that might be a little bit of a foreign concept and might scare them a little bit. And it's probably hard to dive into all the specific technical indicators that you like on a podcast like this. But if you could, what would a direct application be from some of your technical indicators to today's markets? Well, uh, I guess I kind of look at, it kind of gives me some price targets. So some of the price targets I was giving earlier here, 
I'm kind of doing some Fibonacci retracement levels. Uh, that's just kind of a technical tool that kind of gauges how far a move is going to be kind of based off a previous high and low. And let me step back. When I first went to Chicago, I thought the guys who had charts were freaking crazy, man. No way can you make any money reading charts. I thought fundamentals was all it is. Don't get me wrong. Fundamentals are important, but futures are Futures trading, you have to know technical analysis. You have to have a strong understanding to be, you need to have a strong understanding to really help you out in your operation here. When you look at all the trades that are done in the Chicago Board of Trade, more than 95% of those trades have zero human interaction. So fundamentals are important in the long term, Technicals are very important in the short term. So we can't, yeah, so, so sorry, Luke, we can't ignore those technical factors and it just gives you some price points, uh, some targets to go go look at. Does it look like a trend's changing or are reversing? It's just cool once, once you can work with them and just kind of see stuff coming at you. Now, if I was a great, technical analysis guy or, or chartist for lack of better terms i'd probably be on a nice warm beach somewhere so there's an art of technical analysis and just when you think you got it figured out the market uh, quickly reminds you hey not so fast my friend well certainly an incorporation of all the market information and emotions it helps us derive a price on the screen uh that's just the way the markets work so uh, technical analysis, certainly a piece of what the CVA team is bringing. Uh, we've got numbers to share with our farmers. Uh, a lot of that's predicated on both fundamental and technical analysis. Uh, but a lot of those sales targets that uh, Jason did share are conversations that we have internally about where we should be sellers. Uh, so really some nice opportunities here, um, maybe for corn and beans based on what we saw today, Jason. So that's, that's exciting. Um, Let's, uh, let's move into the last little bit here, and we'll close it down, bring this thing down for a landing. Uh, Jason, while we have you on, we wanted to just highlight an experience that you've been a part of over the last couple of years. Uh, that is the Iowa LEAD program, uh, really focused on developing leaders within uh, agriculture in the state of Iowa. Talk just a little bit about the, the Iowa LEAD program and uh, some of your takeaways. Uh, ILEAD is just a great program. Uh, so it's a two-year leadership program. Uh, the program is offered through the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Um, so in my class, where I lead class nine, uh, we have farmers, educators, agribusiness, and government leaders from across, from across the great state of Iowa. So it's just great to meet people that are like-minded, that are passionate about the future of agriculture. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, so some things that I've done in the two-year program here, actually got to go to Washington, D.C., and we actually lobbied on behalf of the American farmer. Uh, we, we were talking about the USMCA, uh, really telling the folks in Washington, D.C., this is very important. We're talking to the, the to uh, government officials about ethanol and how important that is in rural America. Seems like that's kind of falling on deaf deaf ears. There's a lot of people working behind the scenes that we never ever see 
They're all trying to help rural America out, farmers, producers of American egg uh, products. Uh, just recently had an, uh, an opportunity to go to South America, uh, just see how production is in Peru, uh, Colombia, and Panama. Uh, it's just amazing to think South America, especially those countries, are kind of third world countries. Uh, yeah, there's some rough areas in Peru, but when it comes to agriculture, they got the exact same technology that we have in the United States, or maybe even better. Uh, there's a large growing population in Peru. I think we got an excellent chance uh, to continue to grow uh, grain exports, ethanol exports. Uh, really concerned about the future of China. Uh, so we, we really want to make sure we continue to let our Latin American friends know we're, we're very interested in them. Uh, in Colombia, we, we had the opportunity to meet uh, some of the largest Colombian grain buyers. Uh, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, the one, one thing that they said, they want to get closer to the producer of that product. And I believe that the cooperative system is a great avenue for them to achieve what they want to see. Uh, so once this COVID-19 gets past us, we're going to actually host uh, some Colombian buyers are going to come up to Iowa, hopefully Nebraska as well. Uh, we're going to partner with uh, U.S. Grains Council, work with Iowa Corn and see if we can in increase the exports uh, that we send down to our Latin American partners. And number one thing, the world's a small place. Uh, yeah, it seems like it's a long ways away. But in Colombia, they want to be exactly like we are in the United States and, and they're striving. Uh, their economies are growing and thriving. Uh, if anybody ever has an opportunity to head, head down to either Colombia or Peru, it's, it's definitely worth it. Well, certainly a solid experience for you, Jason, and uh, uh, an opportunity for all uh, folks in agriculture in the state of Iowa. I know similar program in the state of Nebraska, the Nebraska LEAD program. A great opportunity for people in agriculture who want to learn more about how everything works uh, politically, economically, uh, really great programs being offered. Well, Jason, this has been fun. A lot of information shared today, uh, really digging into the Maywazdi. Uh, learning a lot more about uh, fundamental and technical analysis and giving our farmers some sales targets to be thinking about. Um, we've got just a different kind of situation now with everything going on in the markets and uh, uh, the information we can share to help our farmers is something that, that we're passionate about at CBA. So uh, with that, we're going to bring episode one to a close. We want to thank you all for listening. Be sure to tune in next month as we dive into uh, some of the June information and see how this crop is Coming along. Until then, stay safe. Thanks for listening to CBA Grain Exchange. Stay updated on all things CBA Grain by signing up for grain emails at cbacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month and until then, stay safe.